This is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast where we play Dungeons and Dragons with each other. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another special episode of Make Believe Heroes. I'm sure that you are all coming here today wanting to know what happened to Cure and Mogert and Chris, Claren and Torgan. What happened? Where did they go? Where did that light send them? What happened with Kilmot and the other dragons and, and Pelor and Grand and the others? Unfortunately, I'm afraid you're not going to find out what happens next today. Instead, you're going to find out what happened before. I had planned some time ago to put together this special episode. Uh, it has some very important information in it, I believe, for the future, as well as some better glimpses at what has been happening back in Dimmerhold since our group left on the first day of the gauntlet. So this episode is going to actually pick up right where we left off in episode 11 after our adventurers spoke with Duron Shattershield in his dining room. And it is going to take us through the events of the first day of the gauntlet. This is something that you will all need to know and see in order for some things in the future to make sense. Uh, and it's also an opportunity to hopefully pay some respect to some different things in the story that that we didn't get to do because of the way that the story went with season four. So this is a very special episode. It's definitely different from typical MBH fair, but I hope that you all enjoy it uh, nonetheless. I worked particularly hard on this and really struggled with when to release it in the flow of episodes. But that is this episode, episode 25 and I think you're all going to love it. Now, let me also mention, over the next two weeks for our regular MBH feed, you will not be getting episode 26 and 27. You're actually going to be getting two Make Believe Champions episodes over the next two weeks. This is Make Believe Champions number eight, uh, which is entitled The Hunt for the Black Star Diamond. This is also a very special episode, and some of our uh, patrons at the $10 level and above have already had the chance to listen to this. Uh, so we are very, very excited to give it to you all now, and we greatly look forward to hearing your thoughts. So please go to patreon.com slash makebelieveheroes and support us if you uh, would like to, and you can chat with us on the Discord. Uh, if you can't do that and you still want to speak with us, you can follow us on Twitter at MBH Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MBH Podcast, on Instagram at MBH Podcast, or send us an email to letters at makebelieveheroes.com. But that is enough from me to get things started. Let's roll back to the night before the first day of the Gauntlet of the Moon. King Durand Shattershield walks back to the head of his table, sitting down in a huff. <sighs> he rubs his eyes in deep frustration. His wife, Barda, her long dark hair draped over her shoulders, comes around and places an arm comfortingly around his neck. Uh, what am I going to do, Barda? As if it isn't enough to deal with a gauntlet for the first time in all these years, here we are, <laughs> facing... Uh, I know, I know, it's, uh, it's a bit much, dear, I know, she says, leaning her cheek against his forehead. And that comes with the territory, I suppose, being king and all. <laughs> right, something I never really wanted, and yet, here I am. It's what you get from marrying a princess, she says, giving him a meaningful eye. He reaches over and gives her an affectionate kiss. And I'll do it again. It's just that... Well, it's, it's a great responsibility to be the king of Dimmerhold on any given day, but are we really supposed to have a gauntlet like this with Kilmont on one side trying to destroy us and the Unchained on the other trying to destroy everything? How are, how are we supposed to do this? 
He drops his fork onto the plate, and a pregnant silence fills the room. You can't, she says. Duran looks up at his wife, a look of concern on his face. You can't, dear. You can't do it all. You can't stand against Kilmont on your left and the Unchained on your right. At least, you can't do it alone. She takes him in her arms, hugging him tightly. It's time for this world to stand together, Durant. It's time for the elves, the humans, the gnomes, the halflings, the dwarves, the half-orcs, everyone across all the lands to come here together. That's what the gauntlet is all about. It's about bringing folks from all across the world into one place under one goal, one banner. And with Atonia being gone, I know you've got the great celebration planned for tomorrow and it's the beginning of the gauntlet proper and everyone's going to be watching and everyone wants to hear what you've got to say, but my dear, you're just one man. Duron leans his elbows onto the table, his face in his hands, rubbing his eyes tightly. Barda, this is, this is the gauntlet of the moon. We represent Derveter. We represent everything that he stands for. All of dwarven kind and dwarf home. Yes, you're right, she says. Then she reaches down, taking his hand in hers. She holds it up, sliding a heavy iron ring off of his finger. But you can't forget. She turns the ring over in her hands before his eyes, and he reads the dwarven runes etched into its metal. The eye of night above you, your winter's breath is blowing. Dwarven home awaits inside. Our hearth is always glowing. He takes the ring, and then grasping her hand in his, he kisses it tenderly. Our hearth is always glowing. And that's what we'll do, he says, standing swiftly to his feet. I'll go. I'll speak to the ambassadors. Tomorrow, when we welcome everyone for the gauntlet, well, we'll show them there are no strangers to Dimmerhold. No visitors, no foreigners, no sojourners. This is home. Home for dwarves and elves and men and all kinds and all peoples from all walks of life. We'll stand against the darkness. I only hope that Kjorg and Mogert and the rest can find Kilmont and perhaps they can turn him to our side. At just that moment, the door bursts open and running into the dinner hall come two stocky, small dwarven children. Dad, 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 dad. Running forward and leaping into their father's arms come Maddox and Millie. Oh, there you are, my dears. Dad. Dad, you, sh- you should have seen Squirrel. She she, she no, beat me in a race. No, it was really close. Ox was right on my tail. Oh. We were just went going down the hill really fast in a mine cart, and then it was like... Hold, hold on. Hold, hold, uh, wait, hold on a second. What do you say? What kind of racing were you doing again? We... We were in the mines and we ran and we ran and we jumped in the car and we hit the levers and whoo, and the guys were like no 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 and we went we went really fast. <laughs> it was probably the fastest we've ever been on a mine cart. I couldn't catch squirrel. I I tried. It was so cool, Dad. Do you think I'm growing a beard? Look. <laughs> Durand and Barda just look at each other for a second. Uh, dears, you're not supposed to be. You know what? I, I hope you had a good time. How's that? Was it fun? Yes. Next time, you can ride one, and, and um, we might, well, I was going to say the babysitter could w- ride one, but she yeah. might not yeah. be around. What do you mean she might not be around? Well, You didn't kill the babysitter, no, 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 did you? No, she's pretty mad. Oh, boy. <laughs> Duran looks at uh, Queen Barda. She can't keep up. <laughs> what did you do, Millie? I said, hey. Jump in this mine car, and she was all like, You can't do that, and I don't understand why to want to do that, and that don't mean that. Much. <laughs> she told us, Don't you go down the mines, your money will be mad. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's great. So, let me get this straight. Where is the babysitter exactly right see, now? Um, I don't know. Do you know? I I kind of forgot. Barda, you're going to need to reach out to her. Um, we're probably going to need another babysitter. Yeah. She she honestly was really mad, and um, I just heard her kind of yelling really loud, and I thought she was gone 
go, go, go. But I think she was saying, no, no, no. <laughs> I was kind of confused. <laughs> she was definitely saying, no, 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 but that's okay. We went go, go, go. Oh, Dad, look, look, look. I think, look, is this a beard? And he like tries to like show you if he's got oh, some beach yeah. there. On his Come nose. here, let me, let me look a little bit closer. Come here, let me look a bit closer. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. a, a little bit closer, just uh, a bit closer. Uh, uh, and uh, he he reaches yeah. over and he grabs grabs you in a quick headlock, and then he's just like ah, Mookie attack. Dad, ah, ah, <laughs> you're too young for a beard, son, and you're too young for minecart racing. How many new babysitters are we gonna have to hire? Before long, we'll go through all the babysitters and all of them are hold. Well, thirty-seven. We are. Old enough to not have one. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm old enough. How old are you again, Millie? Oh, how old? Are, um, tw- you're ten Sorry. years old. Ten. Ten. Yeah. You're ten. We're, we're ten. Twelve. We're twelve. twelve. Uh, come here, the two of you. <laughs> he kind of picks both of you up and places you each on a knee, and Barda kind of leans against the dinner table. Stay young while you're young, children. The truth is. When you get bigger like me and your mother, you get older, there are a lot more a lot more responsibilities, uh, a lot more dangers. And, um, well, just enjoy it while you're young. I guess a minecart race every once in a while won't kill you. But, I mean, but when you're older, you can have all the gold, and that means you can get all the dwarven ale you want. <laughs> I mean, what? Uh, Bardo reaches over and smacks you in the back of the head. <laughs> oh. I'll be enough of that uh, now. So- Sorry, Mom. Sorry. Sorry. (sighs) Now, we just ate. Have you had supper? Uh, no. Well, why don't we get you some food in here? I'm famished. We got any uh, orange juice? Yes, yes, we've got orange juice and plenty to eat. What about sugar cakes? Mm, Sugar cakes. We'll see how well you do with dinner. She walks over, she pulls back a chair and starts making a spot for you all to sit down. Duran leans back. Uh, He watches as... Millie and Maddox get their food, laughing, regaling each other with more stories about their minecart races, and you can't help but feel everything will be all right. The arena of the gauntlet radiates with voices as the thick crowd waits in anticipation. The hour of the opening ceremonies is upon them at last, and the flooding excitement seems ready to burst forth at any moment. Suddenly, the voices all around die down in silent awe as a bright flash of silver light runs across the arena like an ocean wave, shining down from the majestic crystal ceiling. The light waves and spans around the moonlight sanctuary until it settles finally like a pillar of moonlight over the entire arena below, reflecting gloriously off of the enormous statue of Dervetter in the center. Drums begin to beat as the gates of the arena open wide as the first procession begins marching into the arena. First, winter is revealed as the procession of dwarves marches in perfect synchronization, bearing the standard of their three houses with pride, the Hammerhearts, the Frostbeards, and the Shattershields. Three groups of dwarves march forward around the great statue, equidistant as the drums beat to the rhythm of their steps. Then the drums stop with a final beat and the Dimmerhold Dwarves all lift their hands as silver light shines from their palms, lighting down on the central platform before the statue. And stepping forward into that light comes King Durand Shattershield. The arena cheers and claps as the Dwarves each kneel in honor of their king, and then march again to their place in the northern quadrant of the arena. Next, a warm breeze blows all around the Colosseum, the scent of the sea and bright flowers lighting upon the crowds. Out from the southern gate comes gliding a mixed procession of robed figures, elves, gnomes, dragonborn, and humankind. They twirl and spin in their robes of many different colors, 
as the procession of Venthaven summons legions of fireworks and bright lights, bursting all about the stadium in flashes of beautiful color, a kaleidoscope of arcane power. Their dance comes to its end as they settle at their place in the southern quadrant, and a single bright flower of pure white light drifts down from high above, lifting onto the platform to illuminate a tall, golden-haired elf standing behind King Duron, her hair pulled back by a band of white dahlias. The crowd gives applause as they honor the goddess Revalia. Out from the eastern gate trots forth a column of riders atop horses and ponies. Humans, dragonborn, and halflings of Branshire break off, circling the arena at a gallop in concentric circles until six figures stop at six equidistant points dressed in white gowns with glowing golden crowns. Raising their holy emblems upward, bright sunlight emanates from each rider in the arena as they settle in line forming the glowing, six-pointed star of Palor. As their light fades, the rider at the easternmost point steps forward onto the platform, his white hair and gilded robes clearly visible. The crowds cheer once more as he steps into his place behind King Durand. But as the riders of Branshire arrive at their place in the eastern quadrant, a solemn hush settles over the Colosseum. The bright silver beam of light above them seems to dim as it narrows in on the western gate. A small group steps out onto the stone floor of the arena. They walk forward slowly and silently in three sections. The first, a number of gnomes, dressed in deepest orange, riding gently atop young deer with white, velveted antlers. Behind them, a group of halflings clothed in deep green. They walk with their eyes downcast, bearing between them great boughs of the forest adorned with the large, leathery leaves that once covered the canopy. Finally, there follows a procession of wood elves, regaled in an autumn red, their heads adorned with a wreath of leaves. They approach the center of the arena slowly, then disperse amongst one another, mixing. Surrounding the statue and the platform, they take hands together, singing a somber melody. As their music drifts upward from the arena floor, the stone at the foot of the statue cracks. Coming up from deep within the earth grows a single narrow tree. It stretches upward along the body of the enormous likeness of the moon god Dervetter until it wraps itself around his hands. Then, growing thicker, there is formed in his arms a striking likeness of the spry, beloved goddess of autumn, her eyes and lips wide in a joyful grin. A single wood elf steps forward onto the platform, and she lifts from off her head the wreath of autumn leaves. Holding her hands aloft, the wreath floats upward, resting finally upon the head of the wooden effigy like a crown. The elf then faces the crowd, the silver light singling down on her in a narrow beam, and she begins to sing. Otonia, our goddess true. Chorus wanes. King Duran Shattershield steps out before the great statue of Dervetter and Atonia 
now locked in an eternal embrace. And he begins to speak. Welcome, everyone. Every man, woman, child, elf, human, dwarf, gnome, halfling, half-orc, tiefling. Every person from across the face of Manumi. I, King Duron Shattershield, Lord of Demerhold, welcome you to the Gauntlet of the Moon. There is a gentle applause that goes across the stadium. After a moment, Duron raises a hand softly, waiting for them to cease. You all know the legacy of the Gauntlet. How our history is tied to it so strongly. How that those greatest warriors of all the ages have gathered here. In this place. In the Moonlight Sanctuary. In eons past. And ages long gone. To show their strength. And to elect the greatest warrior. The greatest champion. In all the land. And finally. After a needful absence for some years, it is time for the gauntlet to begin anew. That is why you're all here, isn't it? To see some fights, he says, his voice radiating across the stadium. The people cheer in one voice, clapping their hands together. Aye, we've come to see what the greatest of Monumi have to show, what we have to offer. And so many have come and tried out, others invited by myself and others of Dimmerhold. Some from the great families, those champions long past have come to grace us with their strength, with their might, with their power. But before we get to all that, this gauntlet of the moon shall not only show our strength, but it will represent our unity. As never before, all the lands of Monumi have come together today to celebrate light, to celebrate life, to celebrate the gods and our people. Stepping up from behind him come the three ambassadors from Branshire, Venthaven, and Fallengrove. As they step forward, each holds aloft in their left hand a shining emblem of their god. On his left, High Cleric Glaron holds forth an amulet, the golden sun of Pelor shining forth. On his right, a beautiful blonde-haired elven woman. She's dressed in a lovely gown, light blue on the top and multicolored on the bottom. Her hair is pulled back by an ornate silver band, and she holds forth a shining scallop of Prevalian. Then stepping up right next to Durand comes another elf, her long blonde hair draped around green and orange robes. She holds in the palms of her hand, nestled gently, a glowing triquetra of Atonia. Each of them step forward toward a small podium before them on the platform. Durand places into an indention on this podium a silver emblem of Dervetter. When he does, an enormous anvil of Dervetter made of silver light appears on the ceiling of the Moonlight Sanctuary. Then the high elven woman steps forward, doing the same. A great scallop of Provalian appears alongside the other on the ceiling. Then High Cleric Glaren follows suit, and a golden son of Pelor manifests. And finally, the elven ambassador of Atonia places her emblem in the podium, and the three-colored triquetra of Atonia shines brightly in the center of the other three, united and beautiful. The elven ambassador of the woodland realm scans the arena before her, her chin held high, and she begins to speak. I am Elamir Dimble, the daughter of Elevanre Honorius. My father was a faithful servant of Otonia for centuries, millennia. Much like our lovely goddess, he was taken from us by the darkness. And then, 
our people, the Korin or Otonia, the circle of the Druids, came together to elect a new Archdruid for our land. And now the darkness has taken him as well. The people of Otonia have suffered again and again since this darkness has begun to move once more through our lands. I am here today first to say thank you. A tear runs softly, quietly down her cheek. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your honor for Otonia. Thank you for welcoming our people who have traveled far north, seeking refuge, seeking sanctuary. And thank you for honoring us today in this gauntlet. But this darkness that has threatened to wash across our land, that has taken our home from us for now, has a name. And his name is Sebastian Blackfire. A murmur breaks out around the arena, people whispering, uncertain the calling of this name. We must not stand in the shadows any longer. This man, Sebastian Blackfire, the governor of Brightport, is an evil being beyond your imagining. A creature that has crawled out of some pit. He seeks to destroy our world. He has already taken Fallen Grove from us and our Atonia. But hope is not lost. Those who are faithful to Atonia and who she was, we shall return to Fallen Grove. Once the snow and the ice melts away and Provalian's spring washes over our lands, we will use what power we have left to restore it. High Cleric Glaron steps forward, his tall walking staff clinking on the hard stone beneath his feet. This darkness has not only come to Fallen Grove, but also to Branshire. Many have no doubt heard the rumors of the events surrounding our festival. The Festival of the Rising Sun, I am certain that many of you may have even been there yourselves. But what you do not know is that on the day of the summer solstice, the fate of the world stood on the edge of a knife. Unbeknownst to us, an evil man named Braxen Tarek, who had taken power for himself in our own lands, tried to destroy our god Pelor using deep, dark magic. Even now, Pelor is moving on behalf of the people of Monumi to root out this darkness, to prevent another age of war and death. And we will stand with him, and we will stand with Fallen Grove, and Branshire shall stand with Dimahold. As his words end, the third figure steps forward. Her long, silken blonde hair is draped across her shoulders, pulled back from her face by a silver circlet. But as she steps forward, standing before her peers, her face is downcast, her eyes settled on the floor. She doesn't speak for many moments and the crowd looks on silently. Finally, lifting her face upward, silent tears can be seen streaming down her chin, dripping onto the cold stone beneath her feet. <sighs> my, <clears throat> my name is Leandra Darkbolt. I come to you all in the name of the Elder Conclave of Venthaven, and as a faithful servant of our goddess Prevalian, the elves mourn the loss of her sister, Otonia, and our city weeps for our brothers and sisters of the forest. The arena is silent as she pauses. Some time ago, just over two years past, my son, her voice breaks for a moment, 
threatening to give out completely. My son set out on a journey toward Branshire. There he was sent on a mission, a secret task of great importance to save a tree. Glaren's eyes turn downcast as she speaks. His name. My son's name. Was Lorik Darkbolt. She waves her hand and above her appears the large spectral image of a thin elven boy. His radiant red hair, green eyes, and bright blue robes gleaming. Along with his companions, Lorik traveled to a land far beyond ours to save all of Monumi. He had been chosen by the gods to do something courageous, something heroic, something brave and, and wonderful. Or so he was led to believe. She waves her hand again, and in place of the boy suddenly appears the image of a bright golden tree, gleaming like the sun. This tree was created to protect our world from darkness, to cage within it something terrible. Some of us were granted visions of this tree, of the danger approaching our world, of the dire need to reach it and protect it. And my son, Lorik, and his companions traveled there in our stead to stand strong on behalf of our world, to stop whatever evil sought to bring destruction to our cities, our forests, our homes. But we were deceived. The bright golden tree turns dark above her, blackness spreading over it like a shadow, the leaves falling and blowing all around the arena. It was here, in another realm, Far from home, far from family, where my son laid down his life for you all. A single beam of blue light shines down upon a simple mound before the dark tree. Leandra falters for a moment, her face in her hands as she sobs. Glaren and Elamir both as a comforting hand on her shoulders. She stands tall again, resolute, strong. It was Dimvarga, the shapeless, the black dragon, who murdered my son. She murdered him. Then Braxen Tarek murdered the sisters of Brianna Solaran in Branshire. And Sebastian Blackfire murdered the goddess of autumn, our lovely Otonia. And Demerhold is next, King Durand bellows out stoutly, stepping up beside them all. The tenants of darkness have made their play. They've moved across this land, seeking to tear us down, to destroy us, one by one, separate in the pillars of Monumi Branshire, Fallen Grove. Demerhold, Venthaven. But today, as we embark on this gauntlet of the moon, and we come together, representing all the places and all the lands of Monumi, I, as king of Demerhold, proclaim clearly and loudly to the darkness, to the unchained, to the wickedness of the world, we stand united, we stand together, and we will not falter. Holding forth the frosted scepter of Dimmerhold in his hand, he brings it crashing to his chest. One, two, three. The dwarven salute of honor and of strength. Across the arena, 
people from all around Manumi stand together and in salute beat their chests. One, two, three. One, two, three. We'll give up no more sons, no more sisters, no more gods. This world stands together. Let's show them our strength. The great drum thrums across the arena as the people in one voice stand and cheer. Cheers fade as the king, followed by the ambassadors, exits the central arena. The drums play on as they do, and suddenly, the floor of the arena itself begins to transform. The great statue of Dervetter, now also with Atonia, descends into the floor, and the stone closes around it again. Then, the smooth stone suddenly sprouts all around, growing enormous roots throughout the area, forming hills of trees wide platforms of wood and thick boughs with long thorns. The crowd looks on in awe as the seamless stone arena becomes a twisted wooden coliseum. And as the magical growth slows and stops, an energetic voice rings out across the stadium. Welcome everyone. My name is Juniper and I will be your announcer for this, the first day of the gauntlet. We welcome welcome to the the field field our first round of contestants. Six adventurers will enter, but only one will qualify to continue forward into the next round of the competition. Now let's give a hearty welcome to our first six would-be champions. The crowd cheers again as six figures step out of the six gates along the outer wall of the arena. In this contest, anything goes. Use whatever weapons, powers, or magics you may choose. The last adventurer standing will continue forward. But bear in mind, no killing will be permitted in this competition. The breaking of this rule will bring dire consequences. Of course, the clerics are on hand to remove anyone who is knocked out from the battlefield, where they will immediately be healed. But now, It is time for what you have all been waiting for. The drums build up loudly again to a crescendo as she cries out, Let the gauntlet of the moon begin! Over the rest of the day, the mightiest and most magnificent warriors in all the land of Manumi show their strength on the battlefield. The wood-covered arena is cut, torched, frozen, and subsequently regrown after each match. In every battle, six warriors stand toe-to-toe, but only one reigns victorious. The matches are harrowing at times, with some of the more powerful contenders bringing their enemies to the brink before the fight is finally called. But the energy throughout the stadium is electric. After that amazing display from the ambassadors and the speech from the king, people are more excited than ever to see the strength of Manumi exhibited so clearly. Each new victor brings hope to the hearts of the attendees as day one of the Gauntlet of the Moon grows closer to its end. Wow, just incredible. With With one one final and decisive blow, Tyrus Comeri has won the fifth elimination round. I sure hope the clerics can remove those claw and teeth marks, or else that's going to leave one nasty scar. And with that, we are now ready to prepare for our sixth and final elimination round for the first day of the Gauntlet of the Moon. And by the gods, hasn't this been an incredible day so far? But it's not quite over yet. As we have saved six of our highest scoring qualifiers for the final round of the day. Help me welcome to the arena our final competitors. Vulric Blackfist of Dimmerhold. A grizzled looking dwarf with a cheery smirk shining from behind his dark gray beard 
enters the foray. He is dressed in black chainmail, bearing the mark of Dimmerhold on his chest, as he steps forward, holding a black battle axe tightly in his hands. Doran Barley of Branshaw! A stocky halfling enters the arena, dressed in simple light armors. He holds a small golden shield in one hand, bearing the mark of Pelor, and a sharp long sword in the other. His smile can also be seen with an intense look from behind his helm as he waves at the crowd with his shield hand. Elida Versuthia of Venthaven. A thin elven woman steps forward, wearing white, tight-fitting pants with a deep purple blouse tied fitly with a cloth belt about her waist. She does not acknowledge the crowd in any way. She only looks forward toward her opponents as she pulls back the sleeves on her purple blouse, exposing strange markings up and down her forearms. Derek Von Hosen of Nordentown. A thin gentleman steps out onto the field, dressed in a puffy white shirt with brown traveler's pants. He smiles widely and spins on the spot, waving to the crowd as he pushes back his yellow golden hair. He bows deeply then with a flourish, taking a flute in one hand and a thin rapier in the other. Thurum of the Drylands. A thick-necked half-orc stomps forward, his bald head shining in the lights from above. His gray skin is potted and marked with scars, one eye gone white from an old wound. He is naked, save for a pair of tan knee-length pants. He draws in each hand a short, curved blade as he lets out a roar of challenge with his hands raised. And finally, uh, well, it, it seems we don't have a name for uh, the last contestant. Juniper says, looking to her side, confused for a moment. We, uh, uh, we, we welcome, welcome to the field our final competitor for this qualifying round, the masked contender. Entering in from the final gate comes a towering figure. He is layered in heavy charcoal black armor, bearing a white symbol painted on his breastplate. His giant hands are empty but on his back is strapped an enormous great axe with a skull melded into the center of the blade. His face is completely obscured by an ominous, flat mask made of dark steel with two round black holes for eyes and slits for breathing. The crowd cheers for this final figure, but whispers can be heard across the stadium as the cheers finally fade away. Well, you, you know, know the, the rules, rules contenders. contenders. Now is your chance to show us and all of Manumi what you've got. Let the final qualification match of the day begin. The great drum thrums as the people cheer. All at once, the arena bursts with movement. Out from Aleda comes a wave of white fog, making the area all around her difficult to see and maneuver as it spreads further from wall to wall. Looks, Looks like, like we're kicking, kicking things off with some defensive magic from Versuthia with a heavy fog spell. That's, That's certainly going to make things difficult for the warrior types. Sparks can be seen flashing along with the sound of weapons clashing somewhere near Volric Blackfist's gate, presumably between he and Doran Barley. A loud flute tone rings out from one side of the arena, and a burst of wind gusts outward from Von Hosen, blasting the fog away from him in a wave of air. He smiles and gives a quirky wave to the crowd, completely unaware of the towering Thurum standing right behind him, his blades raised. Oh, oh no. no, look, look out! out! The brutish orc grunts loudly as he thrusts his arms down toward the human bard. Von Hosen swiftly dodges, but still a moment too late as the blades slash across his upper back. Blood can be seen running freely down his robes as he turns to face his opponent, his flute back up against his lips. From high in the stands, the crowd can see the fog swirling around the opposite end of the arena. As Blackfist and Barley strike again and again, sparks flying as their blades and shields clash together. It sounds, it sounds like, like our knights are locked in battle amidst the fog, but who, who can, can be sure? The Rum and Von Hosen continue to clash and parry as well, their area now clear of the fog. The Rum brings his curved blades down again and again, and while Von Hosen quickly dashes side to side, 
he blows out another tune, this time calm and soothing. And suddenly, the rum pauses, shaking his head dazedly. Ooh, that's, that's close, but it, but it seems, seems like, like our bard may have just charmed the big fellow. Oh, no, wait. Is, is that, that a crown of madness, madness I see? A black crown of shadow suddenly appears atop the rum's head, and his eyes glow with a dark malice. Very, Very clever, clever indeed, indeed, Mr. Von Hosen. Let's, Let's see if he puts this, this opportunity, opportunity to good use. Just then, the sound of crackling thunder resounds across the arena as a bolt of pure blue lightning strikes outward from the fog, piercing through both Von Hosen and Thurum. Their bodies are illuminated with electric power for just a moment, and with a thud, Von Hosen falls to the ground unconscious. Ooh, that was sneaky! Down goes our first contender. Let's hear it for Derek Von Hosen of Nordentown. A few cheers are heard from the crowd, but they are cut short as an earth-shattering boom resonates from the opposite side of the arena. Chunks of wood and stone fly out, flecking against both Thurum and Aleda as the fog is blown away in a shockwave. And as the fog clears, the crowd can plainly see both Volric Blackfist and Doran Barley hanging limp and unconscious from the giant fists of the masked contender. He stands, slightly hunched, grasping both by the neck. The floor is cracked and splintered, where he has just slammed them harshly against the hard ground of the arena. He drops their unconscious forms to the ground and turns his masked face toward the final two. Oh, oh, oh goodness. Uh, amidst the fog, fog, I, I had almost, almost forgotten about, about our unnamed masked contender, contender, but it seems that he plans to make himself known today. today. That's, That's two more down in this round of the competition, competition as the clerics will quickly see to both Volk Blackfist and Doran Barley. Juniper's voice trails off, obviously a bit shaken, as the masked figure stands completely still, facing the other two across the way. Elayda Versuth steps back, rotating her hands in the air before her to shape a tiny red dot. The dot glows brighter and brighter as she pours more and more power into it, preparing to blast this new attack toward the masked contender. But in her rush to take on this new threat, she fails to see as a burned and wounded Thurum grabs her shoulders from behind, lifting her off from the ground. Her fiery dot blasts forward, swirling through the air toward the masked giant. Just as Thurum takes her in a crippling grapple, bending completely backward at the waist and slamming her head first onto the ground with a crack. The masked contender draws his weapon in a flash, almost too quick to see, swiping the flat hammer-headed side of his great axe toward the dot. As the black head smacks into the point of the spell, it explodes into a raging ball of wizard's fire. But rather than burn the masked contender, the flame is sucked down into a small, fiery whirlwind as the skull on his great axe opens its maw and drinks it in. The black axe head glows molten red, and with booming steps, he walks toward his last standing opponent. The rum drops the limp form of Aleda as the clerics quickly retrieve her from the battleground. He cracks his neck, pops his right shoulder, and holds his blades underhanded. The crowd has grown silent now with an anxious anticipation, and even Juniper sits quietly with bated breath. With a roar, the rum charges toward the masked contender in a rage. He runs atop a rising root, then leaps wildly toward his enemy. The masked giant looks on toward him calmly, his shoulders dropped with the menacing red axe in his hands. Before Thurum can bring his biting blades down onto him, the masked contender swings his great axe forward, blade first. The axe connects with a sick thump into Thurum's chest mid-leap. He is flung aside with ease. 
A gasp bursts out from Juniper as his body smacks the hard floor. The masked contender turns his head slowly toward his prey, then steps forward, raising the axe again. He flips it in midair, bringing the hammer side down onto Thurum's back with a sickening whack. No! Clerics! Thurum is down! I repeat, Thurum is unconscious! The battle is over! Stop! Juniper cries with almost a plead to the masked figure. The clerics rush onto the battlefield, but before they can get near him, the masked contender brings his axe hammer down again and again, crushing the limp form of the rum. Stop! Stop him! The people begin screaming and yelling around the arena as the clerics, joined by dozens of warriors, rush the masked giant. Spells bound off of him as they run forward, warriors grabbing his arms. He throws them off, gripping the axe in both hands as more spells crash into his thick black armor. He rears his head back and lets out a thundering roar as the clerics wrap him in chains of light, pulling as hard as they can to drag him back away from the limp body of Thurum. Just then, another figure swoops in from the northern gate. They sprint forward, a dark purple cloak obscuring their face, revealing a clearly feminine form. She leaps into the air, hopping on small bursts of magical energy over the crowd of guards and clerics to land lively on the masked contender's neck. She places a glowing hand on either side of his masked head as he roars. And then his raging cry is cut short and he sinks calmly down to his knees, lowering his face toward the ground. The guards quickly grab him, tying his arms and his legs with chains, as the clerics quickly carry Thurum's lifeless form out of the battleground. Quick now, bring him inside. That's it. Quick, I say! Duron barks sharply as the guards carry Thurum's lifeless form onto a large stone table inside the waiting area. The guards clear everyone else out as Duron steps forward, pulling off his gloves placing both hands on Thurum's chest. His eyes are closed, his body badly crushed. The king begins mumbling an incantation, summoning a skill to revive him. His personal guard looks on anxiously as he works. Just then, a deep, coughing wretch comes out from Thurum as air fills his damaged lungs. <coughs> Gods, quick, quick clerics, help him, restore him. Three dwarven clerics step forward, immediately channeling their powers of healing and restoration into the wounded half-orc. Duron steps back, wiping the sweat from his brow as he does so. But before he has a moment to rest or even think, a commotion from down the hall grabs his attention. He takes off at a sprint, four guards falling in behind him without a word. Inside the next room, fifteen guards in dimmerhold armor surround the towering form of the masked contender. He is resisting and struggling as they fight to force iron shackles onto his wrists and ankles with little success. Duron steps forward with a commanding shout. Hold! With a start, the guards stop, keeping their eyes and weapons trained on the unruly Goliath. Duron walks up to the towering figure, who now stands with his shoulders slumped forward slightly, his masked face tilted down toward the dwarven king. I reckon you know who I am, eh? The giant figure gives the subtlest of nods. Good. Well then, son of the mountain. You know my name. Will you do me the courtesy of sharing yours? The figure breathes loudly for a moment behind the unnerving flat mask. Grand. Grand, is it? Well, son of the mountain. That's a strong name, that is. Am I correct in assuming you hail from the Drylands? It's not often I get to meet one such as yourself for the first time, Grand. I can understand why one like you might want to enlist in the gauntlet, as you are quite the imposing figure, he says, looking up and down his heavy, blackened armor. <sighs> but what you did out there today, son of the mountain, was unacceptable. Luckily for you, I was able to save our half-orc friend in the other room. 
Grand grunts and stirs at that. Duran stands up straight, his hand falling to the hammer latched at his hip. If you would allow it, Lord Shattershield, I might be able to shine a bit of light on the situation. Duran turns on his heel to see the cloaked figure from before standing in the arched stone entrance. Stepping forward slowly, she lowers her purple hood, revealing radiant golden skin. Her long dark hair hangs on either side of her neck, and her horns turn up and back over her head with a twist. I certainly owe you a debt, my lady, for your assistance with the uh, situation outside in the arena. Might I inquire as to your name, miss? Of course. My name is Alina Feilat, and I am at your service. Well, it is nice to make your acquaintance, Alina, if I might call you Alina. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the distinct impression that you and Grand here are connected in some way. You are correct, Lord Shershield. You could say that I am his caretaker, in a way. I brought him here to participate in the gauntlet as a part of our greater task. Oh, and what task is that? She gives a slight curtsy, lowering her eyes in respect as she speaks. My lord, Grand does indeed wish to compete and win in the honorable gauntlet, but our greater task leads us to one in particular. We have been tasked with finding a specific individual for our master, a wealthy and powerful benefactor. We believe that he also has enlisted in your gauntlet. I see. Might I ask who this wealthy, powerful benefactor might be? She offers a humble smile. I am sorry, my lord, but the tenets of our contract strictly prohibit me from sharing the identity of our patron. I do hope you will understand. Matters such as these often require some strict amount of discretion. Durand gives her a stern eye. Very well then, Alina Feilat. Might you then tell me the name of this individual for whom you seek? Or is that also uh, on a need-to-know basis? That I may, Lord Shattershield. We are searching for a half-orc. He is a well-known warrior by the name of Kjorg. He also refers to himself, I believe, as the People's Champion. Duran looks the tiefling woman in her pupilless eyes for a long moment. The People's Champion, you say? Why, of course, yes. Everyone knows the People's Champion. He received a royal invitation from my own house, if I recall correctly. She smiles at him humbly a second time. Indeed, my lord. If it would be possible, we would love to have a conversation with Kjord. It is of the utmost importance to our benefactor. Silence settles between the two of them after her request. Duran taps his fingers on the handle of his hammer, weighing his options. All right, <clears throat> that's enough. You take me for a fool, Alina, if that's your real name. Everything about this stinks to high heavens, and you're not the first mysterious figure I've had to deal with as of late. Georg isn't here. I'm afraid he's gone north for the winter. And you know what? He says, slapping his hammer onto the table. I think it'd be best if both you and your dog here spent a few days in the dungeons. Hmm. A pity we couldn't work together. My lord. Guardsmen turned their weapons toward her quickly, ready to strike. With a swipe quick as a lion, she crashes a glass vial onto the stone floor beneath Grand. An ethereal blue light suddenly manifests around him. And then Grand is sucked into that light and disappears. She laughs mischievously as she turns on a heel, her purple cloak flapping. <laughs> she steps beyond their vision with a crack like thunder. Blue light appears suddenly in a dark room deep inside the mountain. Stumbling forward out of that light comes the great lumbering figure of Grand. 
and then it dissipates. With another thunderous crack, Alina Faye Lott steps out beside him. Halfway across the blank stone room, there kneels a dwarf wrapped in ratted robes, both hands tightly clasped around some black emblem on a chain about his neck. Arise, Orak. Our prey is no longer here. She quickly crosses to a small wooden table on the opposite side of the room, holding some parchments and a small lit candle. She draws a glowing purple sigil in the air between them, and then speaks. Falcon, we found him. Meet us at the western rendezvous and pack a warm coat. A voice echoes out from the sigil as it fades. You got boss lady. Orok stands and walks toward Grond. He reaches forward, his pot-marked dark gray-skinned hand touching the breastplate of the great Goliath. Then the two embrace for a moment, and Grond takes the great skull-ridden axe in his hands, gripping it tightly. Let's go hunt an orc. This has been Make Believe Heroes, episode 25. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that you enjoyed this very special episode. Before we go, I just want to give a huge thank you, so big of a thank you, to some of our greatest fans. First, let me say thank you so very, very much to Laura Zwimke, or Starry Stories 2 on our Discord who made the incredible piano theme for Lorik. Uh, this was made as fan art for our show, and when she gave it to us, my mind was blown. And with her permission, we took that original recording, and we had our good, dear friend, our very own Torgan, Sam Sharples, or Trackpad as we know him, digitize it for us, create a digital version and a couple of loops to run in the background with it, just to make it easier to work with in the software, and everything was just perfect and we are so thankful to trackpad for helping us with that and to you laura for creating such beautiful music i'm still just in awe that um our show <laughs> inspired you to make that she's also made another theme which we may use at some point in the future if we have the chance um but we are just so excited and so thankful that you would allow us to use your music in the show and that you'd make it for uh, us, I guess, in a sense. I don't know if you made it for us, made it for yourself, but man, we're just, I was just really excited. The moment I heard it, I knew we had to use it in the show. And uh, thank you so much for making that. And thank you, Sam, for doing the hard work for creating those loops and making our own digital version to use here. But we are going to now play for you as we go out the original recording from Laura. And again, thank you so much. And we hope that you love this episode as much as we love it. <laughs> 